Heavenly Father, we ask, Lord, for you to speak to us today through your Scripture. God, we've been walking through the book of James, and the book of James is so pointed and, and so direct, Lord, to us and how we live our lives and, and how we as Christians interact with you and, and how we live in this world. And so, Lord, we just ask that you'd open our hearts and our minds to, to hear from you and that we'd not only hear, but then that we'd be willing to be doers of your word. Lord, it's easy to hear. The hard part, Lord, is putting it into action. And so, Lord, today this topic that James deals with, it can be a challenge to put into action. So, Lord, help us to be action-oriented. Help us, Lord, to be people who will put our faith into action all day, every day. And in this area that we're going to talk about today that James brings out so straight and so direct, Lord, help us to not put up a barrier or, a, or an excuse. Lord, help us to submit to your Scripture and uh, to your Lordship in our lives and help us to do it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Today I want to talk with you about something I believe that all of us have in common. Every single one of us have in common. I'm sure that even the person on your right and the person on your left, and if you look to the people behind you or maybe someone sitting in front of you, all of us have this thing in common, this challenge that all of us face. And it's different times in life. It's maybe a little bit more or maybe a little bit less. But most of us across this room have this challenge or have had this challenge at one time or another. And you may be thinking, well, what would that be that every single one of us face? Every single one of us deal with. That challenge is learning how to get along with other people. Learning how to get along and interact with other people. If you're in school, you probably have some classmates. You go, oh, it's a little bit challenging to get along with them. Uh, in your business, you probably have some people. Oh, that person I get along with, this one I don't get along with so well. There's some people maybe you'd rather not be around at certain times. And even if we're honest, sometimes sitting across the chairs, sometimes right here in this room, there's some people who are like, man, I love being around that person. Ah, I'd rather not be in a Bible study or stay away from that person. I'm glad they sit over in that section. I sit over in this section, and we're okay. The old poem says, to dwell above with those you love, that will be glory. To dwell below with those you know, now that's a different story. And sometimes that's our attitude. Sometimes that's our mindset. Is the people that we have to interact with, it can be challenging. We've been walking through the book of James. Remember, James is the half-brother of Jesus. James is the writer, the pastor, who gives us the message of God very directly. He doesn't beat around the bush. He takes a two-by-four and he just smacks us upside the head with it and says, here's what it is. He delivers this message during heavy persecution, right after Stephen's stoning, after Stephen died for his faith. James is writing a letter to Christians and saying, Here, here's how you need to live amongst this persecution, amongst this difficult time. Here's what we need to be doing. And he's talking to Christians. And he's telling Christians, if you claim to have faith, you believe in Jesus, then here's what you need to do all day long, every single day. Here's how to live your life. Now, for those in this room that possibly are not Christians, maybe you've accepted Jesus as Savior yet, you're investigating things of faith, you're thinking on it, uh, this word is written to Christians, and so if you're investigating it, you know the call of the gospel, you know the standard that God calls us to. And I must tell you, if you're here and you're investigating faith, and you're like, man, I'm hearing what you're saying, but I don't see that in Christians all the time, I'm sorry, I ask for your forgiveness, because sometimes we fall short. Sometimes we don't do what God wants us to do, but this is the call for Christians. 
And so I want to encourage you, church, to listen in closely and be willing to, to do what we've been talking about, James 1.22, that says don't merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves, but to do what it says. We want to not just hear today, we actually want to do what the Word says. Open your Bibles to James chapter 2, that's where we will be today. James chapter 2, we're dealing with the first 13 verses. And again, remember, James is very direct. And he's not going to beat around the bush today. He lays it out to us very directly. And these words today apply to our culture in 2016 very much so. James chapter 2, verse 1 says, My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What is James saying to us? What's his point? I think if you were to take these 13 verses and summarize it down to one simple statement, I think James would say to us, no judgment, love everybody. I think James would be standing before us and say, don't put on the goggles of judgment, love everybody. He gives us the principle, he gives us the problem and the prescription about how to treat people right. Let's look at, first of all, at the principle. Verse 1, my brothers and sisters, believers in our Lord and our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not, must not show favoritism. Now, whenever James addresses my brothers and sisters, you've got to watch out. He's kind of calling attention, like, hey, listen up. I've got something real important to tell you. And so when he starts into an area of Scripture and he's saying, my brothers and sisters, he's saying, listen up. I've got to talk to you about some stuff. And actually, he's kind of getting ready to nail us. He's getting ready to nail the Christians because they're dealing with some stuff where they were showing this favoritism. He's getting ready to talk about prejudice and partiality and favoritism. The word favoritism or partiality in some translation is a compound word that means to receive and face. It literally means to receive someone because of what you see by outward appearance. It means to look at somebody and say, ooh, I like how they look, and so I'll receive them. Or, oh, I don't like how they look or how they dress, and so I don't receive them. We've got to be aware. Outward appearance. What we see when we look at a person is a superficial judgment of someone. And James is telling us, don't do that. That's not how you should behave. Don't accept people based on what you see on the outside. The Good News Bible says never treat anybody in a different way 
according to their outside appearance. Now, truth be told, we won't show hands, but how many of us are guilty of that? I would say probably all of us. All of us are guilty at some time or another looking at somebody and either saying, ah, I receive them, I accept them, or I don't receive them, I don't accept them, or I'll interact with them or I won't interact with them. If someone has an outward appearance that is pleasing to us, we treat them differently than if we don't like what we see. I mean, for instance, you think, well, how, how do we do that? Think about some areas. Gender is one of them. Sometimes it's a male and a female thing. Depending on your gender, you respond in a different way. I don't know if I should talk to her. I don't know if I should talk to him. And sometimes gender just becomes a barrier just because of our gender. Appearance is a big one. We discriminate upon appearance. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. A lot of truth in that statement, isn't there? I mean, in various cultures and generations, our concept of beauty changes how we judge people or how we look at people. Do you judge them immediately by how they look, what they look like, about how people dress? If a man has long hair and facial hair, do you treat him different than someone who is clean cut and, and shaven? Do you treat someone different based on if they have body piercings and tattoos or versus someone who does not have body piercings and tattoos? Do you treat someone different if they're finely dressed in a nice suit and a nice dress versus someone who's wearing shabby clothes. And this is what James is getting to. He said, you should not be judging people upon their appearance. But truth be told, we've all had that feeling going, oh, I don't know, I see that person over there, I'm not sure I'm going to interact with them. Can I tell you, for some, if, it, if the tattoo thing, for me at one time, used to be kind of a, an issue going, man, why has that person got 20 tats on them? Why are they doing that? I've learned that can become a conversation piece. Because most people who have tattoos, they have it tied to a story if you look at someone and say, man, you got some really interesting tattoos, tell me, what, tell me about them. They will start talking your ear off. And you get a chance to know somebody versus judging them. Ancestry is another area we judge people. What's their family background? Were they raised in a good family or a bad family? Or were they on the other side of the track, so to speak? Because sometimes just by ancestry, who their family is, then we will judge people. Here's a big one, race. What's the ethnic background? What's the color of their skin? What is the, the language that they speak? And quite honestly, with what's going on in our culture right now with our race wars, it was very tempting to go down this route and really, really pursue this further. But I don't think it's the main thrust of what James is saying. But let me just say, if we learn to live out what, what James is talking about and we truly do this, and all Christians would do this, we probably could get rid of the race wars. Or at least dial them back greatly. And Christians, we need to be careful about what we're posting and saying and social media avenues and emails that are being sent out and, and radio shows you're calling into and think comments you're making because we can either follow what we're learning today or we ignore it and we can either show God's love or destroy God's love of being communicated to this culture. Age. Age is another area of discrimination or favoritism. Uh, how old are they? Are they from this generation or from that generation? Are, are they young or are they old? Many times uh, the older, older people in our generation look down and say, oh, those young whippersnappers, they don't know much. And, and, uh, and the young people look at the older people and go, oh, man, they're all washed up and they don't know. And so we have this non-communication going on between the two or discrimination between the two and think one doesn't have something to offer to the other. Achievement. Our society gushes over the winners, sports winners, academic winners, uh, 
goal-oriented winners in the business. We gush over that while we forget about the losers. We forget about those who maybe are not exceeding and winning all the prizes. One minute you're a hero and the next minute you're a zero. We live in a world and a culture that says, what have you done for me lately? And if you haven't done anything for me lately, then we set people aside. We live in a world of wealth. I think sometimes this is one of the most common distinctions around the world. Are you rich or are you poor? What's your economic status? What's your attitude? What attitude do you have about people who have money or who do not have money? James would be laying out all these things, and he just gives us a couple of examples here. But he says, when we come together and worship, this should not be. Here's the principle. Here's the problem. The problem is James was observing and hearing about and knowing that people were being judgmental towards one another, showing favoritism for one another, showing favoritism. And so he lifts this up in verse 2. He says, suppose a man comes to your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, a poor man in filthy clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say the poor man, you stand there or sit on a floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? He's talking about two strangers coming to worship, coming to the gathering. One comes in driving the nice car, wearing the nice suit, looking all good, and the people in the church say, oh, we got a great spot for you. You come sit up here towards front, got a special spot, while the other person maybe walks into church, and they, and they didn't have transportation. They rode the city bus, and they have some scrubby clothes on, and maybe they're not so clean, and we come in, and you're like, oh, and everyone kind of ignores them and goes, man, that person's kind of smell. They don't look so good, and maybe just kind of let them have a seat in the back corner. James makes the comparison and says, that's like you're telling him to sit on the floor. That's you're telling him to sit on the floor at my feet because I'm better than, than you are. And James tells us, that's not how the church should behave. That's not how the church should be. James tells us we should not show favoritism because of a person's affluence or lack of affluence. We should not show favoritism because of the amount of money a person has in his or her bank account. So James says there are three problems with favoritism. One, he says favoritism is ungodly. I mean, if you want to be godly, if you want to be more like Jesus, you say, my desire is to live my life more and more like Christ, then James is saying, you can't play favorites. Look what he says in verse 9. You show favoritism, you sin. You show favoritism, you sin, and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. I mean, James says when you show favoritism, you're not honoring God with that. You're living an ungodly life. Romans chapter 2, Paul says, for God does not show favoritism. In other words, faith and favoritism are like oil and water. They don't mix. They're incompatible. If we're in Christ, favoritism should not be part of us. We're to respect all people, treat them fairly. Jesus treated everyone with dignity. And God loves everyone. If there's one place in the world where this should not be any kind of discrimination, it should not be within the church. And James is saying, listen, it should not be within the church because if we practice in the church open arms and open hands who do not show favoritism and do not show judgmental spirit, then when we go outside the church, we'll live that way. But if we can't do it within the church, then we're surely not going to do it out in the world. The church ought to be a place where all people are welcome, no matter how they dress, no matter what their color is, no matter what race there is, no matter if they have tattoos or don't have tattoos, or they have piercings or they don't have piercings, no matter what it is, the church should be a place where all people feel welcome. Jesus doesn't show favoritism, and so if you do, then you're not acting in a Christian way. You're not really living a, a Christian life. Not only favoritism ungodly, 
James tells us is unreasonable. Look at verse 5. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Has not God chosen the poor? And the Bible is not saying that it is good to be poor and and bad to be rich. Don't interpret it that way. James is not saying that only the poor will be saved. Everyone in this room is wealthy compared to the majority of the world when it comes to financial wealth. What the Bible is telling us is that wealth in itself does not deserve special treatment. It does not deserve special attention. Everyone has been made in the image of God regardless of how much money they have in their pocket or in their wallet or in their purse. And he says, this is not the measurement of how we measure people. Remember the first beatitude in Matthew 5, verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This beatitude is dealing with the attitude of humility when we compare our holiness or we compare our righteousness or our purity with that of God's. Really, all of us are bankrupt. All of us are absolutely poor. And so we need a Savior. God has chosen to humble this world, the poor of this world, to show those who are full of pride how to receive a blessing. He uses the poor as an example. God's chosen the poorest world to show the rich how to be rich beyond compare is what he's doing. Favoritism, looking at what somebody has in their bank account, it's not only ungodly, it's not only unreasonable. James tells us it's absolutely unloving. Look at verse 8. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture... Love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted as lawbreakers. The Bible says that how you treat people matters. It makes a difference. We're to treat people in the same way that we would want to be treated. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's the royal law. And God is appalled when we treat people unfairly. Absolutely appalled. If we treat people unjustly, if we show favoritism, if we don't have open hands and open hearts to show people love, look at what it says in, in 1 John chapter 4. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. You see what the Bible says? The Bible says that how we relate to people shows how much we really love God. And if we're having favoritism or judgmental spirits or a hateful heart towards somebody, then John is saying here, do you really love God? Because that cannot be. Favoritism is unloving. Jesus said, if you have faith, live it out by loving people all day, every day. Starts when you're in the church, but then let that flow over to outside the church. The principle is don't show favoritism. The problem is that sin it's unloving. And then James gives us a prescription, the prescription for healing. In order to treat people right, that you must love people. In order to be a person that people want to be around, you must love people. In order to become a strong, healthy church, we must love people. In order to follow the commandments of God, we must love people. And you and I both know that if you're not a loving person, people don't want to be around you. And you don't want to be around people who are unloving. People are attracted to a place and people where they feel loved survey was conducted of 8,600 people from congregations in 39 different denominations. What they discovered should not surprise us. They found that growing churches are more loving to each other and to their guests than declining churches. 
Churches that practice an open hands, open heart, open mind, and, and open love, that they, they love them. Loving churches attract more people regardless of their theology and their denomination or even their location. And some of these churches that were in these different denominations were even different faiths and different theologies, and some were even false religions. But because love was present, people felt welcome. Overall, a church that loves people usually is going to be a church that grows. It's love that reaches out. If you don't argue, learn long ago, you don't argue a person into heaven. You don't argue a person into heaven. You love them to the kingdom of God. It's the old saying, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And we, church, demonstrate that love starts right here and it should flow out to our community. So how do we show this love? I think, one, we accept everybody. Have you ever been in a church full of spiritual snobs? People that uh, think they're better than you are? Do you, do you know why people have a hard time accepting others? They confuse acceptance with approval. There's a difference of acceptance and approval. You can accept a person, but still not approve of their lifestyle. You may be doing something that's totally contrary to the Word of God, but you can still accept that person. And we do that in our own lives. We, do, we live in ways that sometimes are totally against God, and God still accepts us. Romans 15, 7 says, accept one another, then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. The way we accept someone brings praise to God. Christ accepted us while we were still sinners. He didn't wait for us to get cleaned up and become perfect. We need to do the same for others. Someone once said the church is a hospital for sinners, not a hotel for saints. This is where broken people should be. This is where people without hope and people that are hurting and people that are living, living sinful lifestyles should be. Jesus said, I have come to seek and save the lost. Came to seek and save the lost. Not come to seek and save perfect people. Not come to seek and save people who are, who are all whole. Not come to seek and save people who have it all together. But people who are broken, who are lost. We need to accept people in their lostness. And be okay with that. And be okay with they're not on a pathway to God because when you accept them in their lostness, when they're broken, when they're hurting, and you have open arms and open hands and an open heart, then eventually they may want to know you're Jesus who is going to rescue them and save them from their lostness. It should not matter where people have been, what dark alley they're walking through. This should be a place where people feel loved and accepted. Some of you have been down some dark alleys yourself. Some of you have been in some dark spots of life and someone helped you out of that spot of life. How can we show love? We accept everybody. We appreciate everybody. This goes further than acceptance. To appreciate someone, you need to find something that you like about the person, something that you admire. With some people, this may require maybe a little bit of creativity. But to find something and say, you know what, I appreciate this about that person. You may have to look for a little while. If nothing else, you can value them for their uniqueness. We need to appreciate everyone. Look what Philippians says in chapter 2. Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but, but each of you to the interests of others. That's a practice of appreciation. All of us are different from one another. And I must tell you this. God likes it that way. God didn't make this world for all of us to be the same. He gave us a very unique thumbprint and a very, very different eye color and very different hair and, and size and, and height and skin color. God made this world that way, and that's the way He likes it. He's created each of us to be unique. We need to not only accept one another, 
all of our difference and value one another and appreciate one another, but we need to affirm everybody. People in this world need affirmation. Give, giving everybody a lift whenever you can, not to tear them down. No one likes to be told how bad they are, but sure, surely they like to have a, a pat on the back. Never realize that just whenever you knock people down, you've got to realize it doesn't help them get up. What helps people get up is that word of encouragement, that pat on the back. First Thessalonians chapter 5 says, Therefore encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Be an encourager, not a complainer, so to speak. Be an encourager, not a condemner. Be an encourager, not a, not a critical person. One of the prayers I pray every Sunday morning, if it's, not, if it's not my own quiet time, is when we're praying with all the people here and we're gathering before church, is to pray that we'd have eyes that are open to, to know who needs a handshake and who needs a hug and who needs a prayer and who needs a listening ear. Because every week when we gather here, people need a word of encouragement. They need to have their spirits lifted up. And when people stumble, we don't criticize, we should sympathize. We lift people up, we don't tear them down. Jesus gives us the best example of how to pe treat people. Remember when Jesus met the woman at the well? The story's in John chapter 4, it's found in, in that chapter. And Jesus is passing through the land of Samaria, a, a practice which m many Jews would not do because it was considered, Samaritans were considered unclean, and so typically the Jews would not go through Samaria, they would go around Samaria, which would make their trip much longer, but Jesus went right into Samaria, and there in a village, he's tired and he's thirsty, and he stops near a well and he meets a Samaritan woman. There's all kinds of barriers in this story. There's a barrier in place, first of all, he's the wrong race. Another barrier is that He's the wrong gender. She's the wrong gender, so why would he talk to her? She, she had a wrong lifestyle. She was a woman who was full of sin. She was a sinner, and Jesus still stopped and talked to her and, crossed, and, and crossed over the race barrier and the gender barrier and the lifestyle barrier and said, I'm thirsty. Would you give me something to drink? took time just to interact. And in that interaction, he tells who he is and what God's plan is, and she comes to accept and received Jesus. He accepted her, appreciated her, affirmed her. Even all the barriers kept him moving forward to love her. He forgave her. He showed her how to know the kingdom of heaven. Remember the verse from chapter 15 we read earlier? Look at it again. Verse 7, accept one another just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. H how do you treat people? That's what James is getting to here today. How do you treat somebody? Jesus set the standard. The Bible says accept one another as the same way Christ accepted you. Do you treat people in the same way that Jesus treated you? Do you treat people in a way that would bring honor and, and glory to God? James tells us this is the royal law, that you should love your neighbor as yourself. Do you have those open hands, open heart, open mind, that you're willing to treat people the love that Christ has given, given us? I want to close this morning with a visual illustration. I'm going to need some helpers. I'm going to ask for some helpers. Now, if you all take forever doing this, we'll be here to two in the afternoon, okay? So I just need some people to pop up out of their chairs. Uh, I need an elementary student. Come on, Stephen. You're already one. Okay, that's that. You didn't, I didn't even get that far. There you go. Um, I need an elementary student, um, boy and a girl elementary student. Come on right up here on stage. Jump up there, Stephen. There's a boy. I need a girl who's an elementary student. Just come on up. I need a young lady. Come all the way up here, step back here, step back, come on up here, all right? I need, uh, I see some junior hires. How about one boy and one girl from the junior high group? 
One boy, one girl, okay. Um, I need y'all to step right up on stage. Um, how about um, someone say, I think the high school group's not here. We did them first service. Let's do 20 to say 35. I need a one man and one woman, 20 to 35. Come on up. Don't wait forever. We'll be here to 2 or 3 in the afternoon. 20 to 35. Don't be embarrassed about your age. Come on. There we go. There's one female. Now we need a man. Need a man. 20 to 35. Oh, you're, other than you? Yeah, you're, I forgot you were there. Okay, so Stephen's there. Um, all right, let's do 35 to 50. One man, one female. 35 to 50. Come on up. There's a man. I need a female. Come on. All right, Sarah. This always gets a little bit harder as we get older, right? All right. <laughs> Just be mad at me. There you go. I'll take the blame. All right, how about 50 to, say, 70? 50 to 70. I need a man and a female. Come on, be bold. Be bold, 50 to 70. You can show us you're in that age range. There you go. There's Grandma Vicky. All right. Sure, I'll help you up on the stage. All right, we got one female. We need a man now, somewhere in that range, 50 to 70. Come on. <laughs> Come on, Tim. You've been volunteered. I like that. There you go. All right. All right, now, is there anybody in here 70 and older? Older than 70. Older than 70. Okay. Uh, come on, Jack. Come on up here, Jack. There you go. We won't make you walk up on the stage. Jack, you can sit down right on the front of the stage if you want, or you can stand over here by your son. Look, at, yeah, we, we, it's because of your height. We wanted you to get taller so we could see you. All right. Now, this is just a good visual. I want you to look at this group of people right here. Now, don't answer this question I'm going to ask you, okay? But just think about it. What do you see? When you look at a group of people like this, what do you see? In the world's eyes, we look at a group of people and we think, well, they're tall, they're short. We think, oh, they're young. Oh, they're male, they're female. Oh, they're black, they're white. Oh, they're Hispanic or they're not Hispanic. We have all these different kinds of labels. That's what this world teaches us to do. And anytime you're filling out a piece of paperwork, well, what's your race? I was filling out the other day. What's your race? And you're going down, well, what race do I fall in? And it seems that they keep adding more and more care, uh, uh, categories of that. What's your age? You know, how many categories do you break that down to? What's your economic status? You know, you're filling out paperwork for the doctor. They have all these different kinds of questions. And so we start thinking that way in this world. You take James, and what he was telling us is God would not look up here and go, oh, you're a man, oh, you're a female, oh, you're young, oh, you're old, oh, you're fat, oh, you're skinny, oh, you're this color, oh, you're that color. God looks at this and says, this is the human race, and these are the people that I created. That's what James is getting across to us. James is saying, you can't look at people and think, well, you're different here, you're different there, I'm going to judge you this way, I'm going to judge you that way. James is telling us, we're looking at God's creation. And why would we look at God's creation? Why would we have favoritism towards one person or another person and say, well, you're good and you're bad, or you should get special honor, you should not get special honor? Because when we do that, you know what we're telling God? We're telling God what you created, what you made, is not good enough. Or as the old cartoon says, what you made and created is junk. And the cartoon says, God makes no junk. And what happens is when we live in the church and we go, oh, man, I'm not going to interact with that person because this guy right here, he's an old codger. He doesn't know anything. 
Or we say, you know what? I'm not going to interact with this young lady over here because she's a young kid and she has so much more to learn. She doesn't have it together yet. When we start doing those kind of attitudes, living those attitudes, we're telling God, God, the way you put this world together, it's not good enough. And I'm smarter than you, and I know more than you, and I got it all figured out, God, and so I I understand you tell me not to, but that's why I'm going to treat people. And we're literally looking at God and saying, God, what you created is worthless. If we do that in the church, it destroys God's kingdom right here. We do it in the world, when we go out in this world that we live in, we're telling this world, we don't want you to know God. See, we need to practice an open heart and open mind that we're willing to put an arm around somebody and love them no matter what their age or what their race is. We need to practice an open handshake that says, I care about you and I'm willing to interact with you. I'm willing to talk with you. We need to practice the fact that says, you know what, even though he's young, better looking at me, we still can be friends and get to know one another. We need to have that kind of open mindset, but that's not what this world teaches us to do. And James says, blow all that up and accept people and love people. Why? Because we want them to know Jesus. Bow your heads with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we have people standing right here before us. This represents your people, your community. Lord, this is a small sampling of this community and this church, a small sampling of the community of this city. But Lord, these are your people. And Lord, you created all of us. When we go through that grocery store line and when we're at the doctor's office and we're in school and we're in our businesses and, Lord, we're interacting with people, Lord, change our goggles, change our eyesight so that we don't look at people with the judgment that, that comes from this world, Lord, that we will look at people with the eyes of Christ and say, that's someone God created and I need to show them love today. I need to demonstrate love. I need to demonstrate acceptance. I need to demonstrate forgiveness. I need to demonstrate mercy Oh, Lord, we live in this world that says that that we don't do that, that we try to climb the the ladder. We step on whoever we can step on to get where we want to get. Lord, blow that mindset up inside of us. Destroy it, Lord. Take it out of us. Take it away from us so that our heart and our desire would be to love you and to to love people with, with total acceptance of who they are and that we point them to Jesus, Lord, so then you can do the work you want to do inside of them. Father, help us to live out this passage of James to be not just hearers, but to be doers. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.